0: Going to be in 2 Samuel 22 this morning. Again, what an odd place to look for an Advent or Christmas sermon. But I think it'll all make sense as we unfold this and unpack it. In 2005, I suffered a case of acute pancreatitis. I can't even explain to any of you the amount of pain that I was in. We rushed to the emergency room of a nearby hospital, and I was immediately placed on painkillers that knocked me out, like, quickly. And I don't remember much about the next few days. I was placed in a critical care unit, and I'm told that I woke and said some things here and there during that time. I don't remember any of it. Uh, I even apparently had visitors that I had conversations with that I don't remember. Uh, No memory of, of at least three days during that time. What I do remember is the pain that I was in when we decided to go to the ER, right in the middle of my stomach and chest area, right here. And I remember the fear that it caused, not knowing what it was at the time, not knowing why I was feeling the way I was feeling. And then on the fourth day in the hospital, I remember the nurse came in at like 5 a.m. to draw blood and, and woke me up, and I remember like, that experience. Uh, I remember being told to try and walk, <clears throat> get up and walk around. Apparently, whatever numbers they were looking for inside my blood were getting better, and they wanted me to get up and get around. So I walked the floor of the critical care unit that I was on, and as you can guess, the, Critical care units, that's the place where people whose conditions require special attention because it could lead to death. And that's who was on the floor I was on. So as I walked by each door, I remember reading the names, if there were one, were names on there, and saying a prayer. Because I felt like I understood in that moment. I had come close to dying, and I had realized through that experience that contrary to what I believed in my youth, I was not immortal. And I've never felt as afraid as I did those few days when I was conscious. Except when it happened again, three years later, while we were living in Alpine. It wasn't quite as bad the second time, uh, but it was at this time of year, it was right around this, the right before Christmas. Uh, it was still frightening though. When it happens again, you sort of feel like, is this the time? Uh, I still felt as though I might die. Many of you have probably had. Similar experiences to the one I'm describing. Maybe coming close to dying only to survive and and have a whole new perspective on life. And again, you were probably wondering, like I said, why, why would we be talking about such things during the Advent and Christmas season? Well, this morning we're going to look at another Old Testament instance of Advent. Another time when God came down. This time, we're going to experience it through the eyes of King David, and we need a bit of context in order to understand it fully. Uh, In the chapter just before the one we'll be reading, 2 Samuel 21, uh, verses 15 through 22, David and his mighty men fought against the Philistines, and we read at the end of verse 15 that David grew weary. And that's just a, a, a sort of way of saying that his age caught up with him, right? All of us have probably had, well, most of us, not not younger <laughs> folk, uh, but most of us have had that feeling where your age catches up with you, you just get tired faster and don't have the energy you had. That's sort of what's going on here. And as my professor at Howard Payne, Dr. Awenshine used to say, it's not the years, it's the mileage, <laughs> right? David had been through a lot. In verse 17, after fending off one of the giants that were with these uh, Philistines, the Philistines had contracted, I guess, these giants from Gath, maybe relatives of Goliath, the the giant that he had slew back when, possibly brothers even or cousins of of that uh, situation. So after fending off one of them, David's men told him, you shall no longer go out with us to battle lest you quench the lamp of Israel. They didn't want David fighting anymore. He'd reached a point in his life where he was going to get himself killed if he kept going out into the field of battle. And this is a recognition of David's ailing condition. His warriors saw what was happening and that he was no longer fit for the battlefield. From there, they went and tracked down, pardon me, and killed the other remaining giants and Philistine armies that had come against them. And it's at this point that we reach chapter 22 and David's psalm of deliverance that he gives. And so follow along with me, if you will, as we read this psalm, beginning in verse 1. We're just going to read part of it, the first 20 verses. And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said... The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior. You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. For the waves of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress I called upon the Lord, to my God I called, and from his temple he heard my voice, my cry came to his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked, the foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth, glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew, and he was seen on the wings of the wind. He made darkness around him, his canopy, thick clouds, a gathering of water. Out of the brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice. And he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. The channels of the sea were seen. The foundation of the world was laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord and the blast of the breath of his nostrils. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place, he rescued me because he delighted in me. May God bless the reading of this morning. Okay, so let's dig in and find out what this has to do with Advent and Christmas, shall we? The first sign of Advent shows up right away. As the first thing we notice is that this is a worship song that David wrote and sang after the Lord delivered him from the Philistines and the giants who were his sworn enemies. And David didn't hold back. He called out to God by listing the ways the Lord had protected and provided for him. In these descriptive terms, we see the heart of Advent. So let's take a closer look at them. And There's a bunch, so stay with me. The first word in the Hebrew is serah, which means to be lofty, like a a high cliff or or flat top mountain sort of place. Figuratively, it means a fortress because high cliffs are where you put fortresses, right? That's where they're built. They become a, a place where you have good defenses and the ability to see what's coming. Next, we see the word Matsud, which literally means a net used to capture but figuratively, it's also used to mean the defenses that one might find at a fortress, the, the kind of defenses which make it a fortress difficult to overtake. And third, we have the word palat, which means to escape or be carried off to safety. and The idea here being that the fortress was the safest place around and that getting there would mean surviving whatever attack might come your way fourth we see the word magin which means a shield or to cover or surround in protection by extension then it also means a protector or one who shields another next we find the word keren which means a horn like a tusk like an elephant elephant tusks Figuratively, it means strength. And in this case, specifically, it meant the kind of strength that saves people from an attack. After that, we have the word misgo, which means a secure height, or again, a stronghold, a fortress. It's another word for that same idea, uh, meaning the high place of defense, much like the word selah. And finally, we have the word manos which means flight, in terms of fleeing to a place of refuge, which most of the time meant making your way to that fortress or stronghold. Um, These are all wartime terms. They all have to do with battle and defense. They lean toward the inherent violence of such altercations. And yet David used them to describe God. We know from other psalms that David also saw God in other terms, less violent-sounding terms. But here, after the Lord delivered David from those who wanted to kill him and destroy Israel, the Lord showed up as a warrior and defender. Notice also that all the terms David used are defensive terms. God was not on the offensive when when he came down in this passage. And that's important because as we try to grasp what this means for us and how this informs our Advent, it guides our thinking and our conclusions to see God in this way. In understanding Advent and Christmas, we get a picture of the God who comes down and defends us. The God who stands between us and those who would wish to harm us. The God who is our protector and our place of refuge. It's also important to note that based on what we see here, David was probably suffering some form of PTSD and experiencing serious depression at this time. But in the middle of that, he turned to God. And when God came down to him, it was in these specific terms. God showed up for David as a fortified stronghold of defense. He showed up for David as a place of escape from his enemies. God showed up for David as a shield of protection, a strong means of salvation from the danger around him, a fortress to which David could flee for safety. The reality of Advent and Christmas is that God shows up for us in the same way, and that he showed up for us by becoming one of us. God the Son came down as our fortified stronghold of defense. God the Son came down as our place of escape from our enemies and all the other ideas, shield of protection and all the others. When you picture Christmas, Are those the ways that you picture Jesus? We are so often captivated by the manger scenes and and the the nativities that are around in different places. The baby Jesus is so adorable, right? That whole idea. We can easily forget who this baby was and what he came to do. We end up missing why God came down. But in the next couple of verses, David's situation helps our concept of the Lord come into sharp focus. In verses 5 through 7, David lamented that death was all around him. That destruction was at his door and that shield, the grave itself, was reaching out to drag him down into the ground. Can you envision that image in your mind? David described it as cords. But you can almost imagine these long, spindly tentacles reaching out of an open grave to grab you and pull you away from the life and light of everything good. Have you ever experienced anything like that? Have you ever felt that way? It's a frightening visual. And it can impact us on multiple levels, physically, spiritually, emotionally. It can hit us from every direction. It's interesting, studies show that as much as we might love this time of year and the hope that it brings, it's also the darkest time of the year. And not just because the days are shorter and the nights are longer, but because more people experience depression during the holidays. The people are lonely. People are hurting. They may feel like David felt here, like death is after them. Many of us have no doubt felt this way before for some reason or other. Maybe in a very physical way, like in when I had the pancreatitis. Or maybe it was in a more emotional or spiritual way. Maybe you felt alone. Maybe you have experienced what seemed like the absence of God in your life and the, the darkness that that can bring on. I certainly have, myself. I know firsthand the way that kind of darkness can feel like cold, dark tentacles trying to pull me into the abyss. Spiritually, each of us knows that we are born into a darkness and given over to it in our hearts and minds, that we are slaves of sin and death and that we can't possibly hope to overcome them and free ourselves on our own. As dark and twisted as all this seems, this is what's at the heart of Advent and Christmas. It's the reason God came down, because we need God in each of those situations. We need God to be our fortified stronghold of defense when we are sick. We need God to be our place of escape when we are going through difficult times, when we are sad, or hurting. We need God to be our shield of protection when people come after us and try to harm us, whether it's with words or with weapons. We need the Lord to be our strong means of salvation when we face the power of sin and death in our lives as a result of our choices. In all of these instances, we desperately need the Lord to be a fortress to which we can flee for safety. And that's why we need God to come down. When the Lord does come down, we sincerely need him to come down in a powerful way, just as David did. Now in verses 8 through 16, David described what it was like when God came down. And it's without a doubt one of the most frightening visual descriptions we can find anywhere in the Bible. It starts off with an earthquake, and then that radiates out and heaven itself is shaken as a result. And then we begin to get a picture of God with smoke pouring out from his nostrils, fire flowing out from his mouth, and glowing coals shooting out in every direction. That's just the start of things. If you think about it, it sort of sounds like a description of an angry dragon bursting from his lair, doesn't it? And that's the introduction we get to when God came down. That's how the Lord appeared on the scene for David in these circumstances, full of fire and brimstone, right? In verse 11, we read that the Lord rode on a cherub. And in many of our minds, that's a little odd because a cherub is a little pudgy baby with wings who has a bow and arrow, right? That's not The description of a cherub in the Bible though uh, or really in any of the contemporary art from that time period. Uh, Ezekiel 10 gives us what I think is probably the most detailed description of a cherub and there we find it has a lion's body with eagle's wings and then four faces one of which is human. It's a crazy sounding beast whatever it is. And For us this may sound like little more than fantasy but for the people of the ancient Middle East, these creatures were some of the most fierce beasts they could imagine. And that's significant because when God came down to David, he was riding one like it was his pet or, or maybe livestock. He rode this terrifying creature like we might ride a horse. In other words, this magnificent and fearsome animal was under God's command. Think about how David or anyone who heard him sing this song would have understood that. It meant that the Lord was so powerful, even one of the most ferocious things they could imagine was little more than his mode of transportation, which is what David needed right then. He was afraid for his life, And he needed to know that there was a power more powerful than what was after him. He needed to know that God was more powerful than death. So God came down and showed David what he needed to see. The description doesn't stop there, though it keeps going. Saying darkness was nothing more than a canopy, like a tent that laid out. Thunderclouds and rain, there's lightning flashing like flaming arrows and everything is laid bare before God as he breathed. Think about that. That should immediately draw our thoughts to other places where God's breath is involved, right? Like Genesis 1 and how God created by speaking things into existence, breathing out creation. Here, God is breathing out fire and smoke, but the idea is that this very same voice is involved in both situations. This description connects us also back to what happened at Mount Sinai, where God came down to Moses and the Israelites. And in that situation, the Israelites were so terrified of what they were experiencing that they begged Moses to speak to God for them and then come to speak to them for God. They didn't seem to want to deal with the Lord themselves. But in this situation, David seems to have found comfort in what he was seeing. He didn't seem afraid of God, even as God appeared this way. He experienced a sense of rescue as a result. In the next four verses from 17 to 20, David seems to sort of exhale and relax. God is shown up. God is here. It's all gonna be okay. He says, the Lord took me and drew me out of many waters, rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, and were too mighty for me. This part makes sense given the powerful nature of what David saw when God came down. When David felt overwhelmed, God came down and rescued him from what was overwhelming him. This is how David understood God in this experience. And it's how we might understand God when we are overwhelmed too. David wasn't done there. He said, finally, that the Lord was my support. He brought me to a safe place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. That last line really sums up this whole thing. And it stands at the very center of what Advent and Christmas are all about. The Lord rescued David because he delighted in him. And he rescues each of us for the same reason. He delights in us, in each of you. Have you ever thought about your relationship with God in these terms? Have you ever stopped to consider that the Lord delights in you? That the Lord enjoys you? That this is the reason the Father sent his only begotten Son into the world at Christmas Not because we earned his affection by being super good or morally upstanding citizens or voting the right way or any of that sort of stuff. Not because we did enough good to outweigh whatever bad we have done and sort of tip the scales in our favor. Not because we are any particular race or gender or nationality or tax bracket or any of that sort of stuff. None of these types of things are why the Father sent His Son to save us. He sent His Son to save us because He delights in each and every one of us. He takes pleasure in us, just as He did in David. David took comfort in a frighteningly powerful depiction of the Lord because that's what he needed at that particular moment. David needed the same thing that we sometimes need, a fortified stronghold of defense, a place of escape from our enemies, a shield of protection, a strong means of salvation from danger and a fortress to which we can flee for safety. And that brings up the question, how do we experience God? How do we know what we are experiencing is from the Lord and not something else. I think we can look at this list and this description and have a pretty good idea. If we are in desperate need and we experience these things, we can be assured that it's of the Lord. And if we are experiencing something else in our need, we can be assured that it's not. Because as awesome and frightening as God may seem, we know that the power of God isn't shown through violence, but through love. And we know that because of how that father dealt with sin, the worst thing imaginable, it wasn't by storming the earth with the heavenly army, wiping everything out. Instead, he sent his only begotten son to be born into this world as one of us, to live among us, to die on the cross and rise from the grave. Which means the power of God is seen most clearly in sacrifice, in forgiveness, in love and mercy, in grace and in life. We can experience the same God David experienced And we can find the same comfort in God coming down that David found. We can exhale and relax as David did. Because Advent wasn't just a certainty in the time of the Old Testament, but became a reality with the birth of Jesus at Christmas. And they remain a reality for us today. Advent and Christmas are still real even now because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave. He didn't stay dead. And he unleashed the ultimate power of God against all our enemies and carried us to the safety of his loving embrace. That's the only real place where we can find rest or hope peace or love or joy or the things that we talk about during this time of year. It's the only real place we can find the strength to face whatever comes our way in this holy season and beyond. Will you pray with me? Holy Father, as we come before you with this song Resonating in our minds and hearts, we just pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit within us will take these words and use them to ignite in within us a passion, a realization of who you are for us, a comfort in that, but a passion to tell others, to show them who you are, who you can be for them, that we would just sort of hoard this to ourselves, this idea of you as our protector and savior, that we would show the world that your fierceness is in our favor, that you are for us and not against us, and that we can lean on and trust in you and put our faith in you.